chapters twenty nine and thirty of gretchen by mary jane holmes this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter twenty nine why harold did not go to vassar the cottage in the lane was not very pretentious and all its rooms were small and low and upon the ground floor except the one which jerry had occupied since she had grown too large for the crib by mrs crawford's bed in this room in which there was but one window jerry kept all her possessions her playthings and her books and the trunk and carpet-bag which had been found with her here she had cut off her hair and slept on the floor to see how it would seem and here she had enacted many a play in which the scenes and characters were all of the past for the cold in winter she did not care at all and when in summer the nights were close and hot she drew her little bed to the open window and fell asleep while thinking how warm she was that she ought to have a better room never occurred to her and never had she found a word of fault or repined at her humble surroundings so different from those of her girlfriends only as she grew taller she had sometimes laughingly said that if she kept on she should not much longer be able to stand upright in her den as she called it i hit my head now everywhere except in the middle she once said i wonder if we can't sometime manage to raise the roof the words were spoken thoughtlessly and almost immediately forgotten by jerry but harold treasured them up and began at once to devise ways and means to raise the roof and give jerry a room more worthy of her this was just after he had left college and there was hanging over him his debt to arthur and the support of his grandmother the first did not particularly disturb him for he knew that arthur would wait any length of time while the latter seemed but a trifle to a strong robust young man mrs crawford was naturally very economical and could make one dollar go farther than most people could too so that very little sufficed for their daily wants when jerry was away i must earn money somehow harold thought and must seek work where i can do the best even if it is from peterkin so swallowing his pride he went to peterkin's office and asked for work once before when a boy of eighteen and sorely pressed he had done the same thing and met with a rebuff from the foreman who said to him gruffly no sir we don't want no more boys leastwise gentlemen boys we've had enough of em try t'other furnace mr warner is allus taken all kinds of trash out of pity but the warner factory where harold had once worked was full of boys whom the kind-hearted employer had taken in and there was no place for harold so he waited a while until jerry needed a new dress and his grandmother a bonnet and then he tried peterkin again and this time with success yes take him peterkin said to his foreman take him and put him to the emery wheel that's the place for such upstarts that'll take the starch out of him double quick he's a bad egg he is and proud as lucifer i don't suppose he'd touch my bill or my Aunt lizzie with a ten-foot pole put him to the wheel bad egg bad egg peterkin had a bitter prejudice against the boy on whose account he had once been turned from the tracy house and though he had forgiven the tracys and would now have voted for frank for congressman if he had had the chance he still cherished his animosity against harold designating him as an upstart and a bad egg who was to be put to the wheel and harold was put to the wheel until he got a bit of steel in his eye and his hands were cut and blistered but he did not mind the latter so much because jerry cried over them at night and kissed them in the morning and bathed them in cosmoline and called peterkin a mean old thing and offered to go herself to the wheel but to this harold only laughed he could stand it he said 
and a dollar a day was not to be lost he could wear gloves and save his hands but the appearance of gloves was the signal for general hooting and jeering from the boys of his own age who were employed there and who had from the first looked askance at harold because they knew how greatly he was their superior and fancied an affront in everything he did and every word he said it was spoken so differently from their own dialect i can't stand it harold said to jerry after a week's trial with the gloves i'd rather sweep the streets than be jeered at as i am i don't mind the work i'm getting used to it but the boys are awful why they call me sissy and miss hastings and all that so harold left the employ of peterkin greatly to the chagrin of that functionary who had found him the most faithful boy he had ever had but this was years ago and matters had changed somewhat since then harold was a man now a graduate from harvard with an air and dignity about him which commanded respect even from peterkin who was sitting upon his high stool when harold came in with his application billy who was harold's fast friend was now in the business with his father and as he chanced to be present the thing was soon arranged and harold received into the office at a salary of twelve dollars per week which was soon increased to fifteen and twenty and at last as the autumn advanced and harold began to talk of taking the same school in town which he had once before taught he was offered fifteen hundred dollars a year if he would remain as foreman of the office where his services were invaluable but harold had chosen the law for his profession and as teaching school was more congenial to him than writing in the office and would give him more time for reading law he declined the salary and took the school which he kept for two successive winters going between times into the office whenever his services were needed which was very often as they knew his worth and billy was always glad to have him there in this way he managed to lay aside quite a little sum of money besides paying his interest to arthur and when maud came home from europe in march he felt himself warranted in beginning to raise the roof he was naturally a mechanic and would have made a splendid carpenter he was also something of an architect and sketched upon paper the changes he proposed making the roof was to be raised over jerry's room there was to be a pretty bay window at the south commanding a view of the collingwood grounds and the river there was to be another window on a side but whether to the east or the west he could not quite decide there was to be a dressing-room and a large closet while the main room was to be carried up in the centre after the fashion of a church and to be sealed with narrow strips of wood painted alternately with a pale blue and grey he showed the sketch to his grandmother who approved it just as she approved everything he did but suggested that he submit it to maud tracy who she heard had become an artist and had a studio so he took the plan to maud explaining it to her and saying it was to be a surprise to jerry when she came home for good in the summer maud was interested and enthusiastic at once and entered heart and soul into the matter making some suggestions which harold adopted and deciding for him where the extra window was to be placed put it to the east she said for jerry is always looking toward the rising sun because she says her old home is that way and besides she can see the tramp house she is so fond of for my part i think it is a poky place and never like to pass it after dark lest i should see the woman standing in the door with the candle in her hand crying for help where was jerry then i wonder wouldn't that make a very effective picture the storm the open door the frantic woman in it with the candle held high over her head and jerry clutching her dress behind with her great blue eyes staring out in the darkness that is the way i have always seen it i mean to paint the picture and hang it in the new room as another surprise to jerry oh don't harold said with a shudder jerry would not like it 
it almost killed her when she first knew of the cry which mr arthur heard in the light i saw that night she insisted upon knowing everything there was to know and when i told her all the colour left her face and for a moment she sat rigid as a stone with a look i shall never forget and then she cried as i never saw anybody cry before this was three years ago and she has never spoken to me of it since harold's voice trembled as he talked while maud cried outright the idea of the picture was given up and she went back to the subject of the new room in which she seemed quite as much interested as harold himself when the roof was raised and the floor laid and the framework of the bay window up she went nearly every day to the cottage to watch the progress of the work and to keep harold's one hired man up to the mark if he showed the least sign of lagging she is worse than a slave-driver the man said to harold one day why if i ever stop to take a chaw or rest my bones a bit she's after me in a jiffy and asks if i don't think i can get so much done in an hour if i work as tight as i can clip it i was never so druv in my life and yet both the man and harold liked to see the little lady there walking through the shavings and holding high her dainty skirts as she clambered over piles of boards and shingles or perching herself on the workbench superintended them both and twice by her intervention saved a door from swinging the wrong way and from being a little askew frank too was almost as much interested in the work as maud was and once offered his services as did dick st clair and billy peterkin that's splendid we'll have a bee and get a lot done maud said and she pressed into the bee her father and dick and billy and fred raymond and tom the latter of whom did nothing but find fault saying that the ceiling ought to have been of different woods the floor inlaid and the tops of the windows cathedral glass and i suppose you will find the money for all that elegance maud said as she held one end of a board for harold to nail we are cutting our garment according to the cloth and if you don't like it you'd better go away we do not want any drones in the hive do we hallie she had taken to addressing him thus familiarly since they had commenced their carpenter work together and harold smiled brightly upon her as upon a child as she stood on tiptoe at his side tom went away but he soon came back again for there was for him a peculiar fascination about this room for jerry and sitting down upon a sawhorse he looked on and whittled and smoked while dick blistered his hands and fred raised a blood blister by striking his finger with the hammer and billy ran a huge splinter under his thumbnail. then they all went away and harold was left alone for his man had been obliged to leave and thus the finishing up devolved upon him but he was equal to it the worst was over and all that was now required was hard and constant work if he would accomplish it in time to see jerry graduated as he greatly wished to do provided he should have enough money left for the trip when everything was paid for but whoever has repaired an old house need not be told that the cost is always greater than was anticipated and that there are a thousand difficulties which beset the unwary workman and hinder his progress and harold found it so still he worked on early and late taking no rest except for an hour or so in the afternoon when he found it a very pleasant change to walk through the leafy woods so full of summer life and beauty to where maud waited for him with her sunny face and bright smile which always grew brighter at his coming how could he know what was in her mind he who never dreamed it possible that she of all other girls could fall in love with him that maud liked him he was sure but he supposed it was mostly for the amusement he afforded her and for the sake of jerry of whom she was never tired of talking 
maud's friendship was very sweet to the young man who had so few means of enjoyment and whose life was one of toil and care and he went blindly toward the pitfall in the distance and began to look forward with a great deal of pleasure to the readings or talks with maud even though he did not find her very intellectual she amused and rested him and that was something to the tired and overworked man the room was finished inside at last and looked exceedingly cool and pretty in its dress of blue and grey and its two rows of coloured glass in each window for harold had carried out tom's suggestion in that respect and by going without a new hat and a pair of pants which he needed had managed to get the glass which he set himself for as he said to maud who assisted him in the matching and arrangement he was a kind of jack of all trades maud had also helped him to putty up the nail-holes and had tried her hand at painting until it gave her a sick headache and she was obliged to quit when arthur first heard of the raised roof he went down to see it and approving of everything which had thus far been done insisted upon furnishing the room himself but harold refused saying decidedly that it was his own surprise for jerry and no one must help him so arthur went away and told maud confidentially that the young man hastings was made of the right kind of stuff and that he liked his independence and that although he should allow him to pay his debt he should deposit the money as fast as received to his credit in the savings bank so that he would eventually get it all you are the darlingest uncle in the world maud said rubbing her soft cheek against his in that purring way many men like and which made arthur kiss her and tell her she was a little simpleton but rather nice on the whole and you'll not tell jerry a word about the room maud charged him again and again before he went to vassar not if i can help it was his reply although as the reader knows he came near letting it out twice but held on in time so that the raised roof was still a secret from jerry when she reached the station and was met by maud and harold the room was all ready with its pretty carpet of blue and drab and a delicate shading of pink in it its cottage furniture simple but suitable its muslin curtains and chintz-covered lounge and the willow chair and round table which maud had insisted upon buying she would have some part in furnishing the room she said and harold allowed her to get the chair which she put by the window looking toward the tramp-house and the round table which stood in the bay window with a japanese bowl upon it filled with lilies harold had gathered in the early morning he had found it impossible to go to vassar there were so many last things to be done and so little money left in his purse with which to make the journey and as maud had more confidence in her own taste for the arrangement of furniture than in his she too decided to remain at home and see it through the carpet was not put down until the morning of the day when the young men started for vassar and it was the noise of the tack hammer which tom had heard and likened to the shingling of a roof there must be flowers everywhere jerry is so fond of them maud said and she brought great baskets full from the park gardens and a costly dresden vase which arthur had left for jerry when he went away together with his card and his photograph and a note in which he had written as follows my dear child welcome home again i wish i could see you when your blue eyes first look upon the room i came so near telling you about maud would have killed me if i had you have no idea how harold has worked to get it done and where he got the money is more than i know pinched himself in every way of course he is a noble fellow jerry but you know that i saw it in your face at vassar and saw something else too which you may think is a secret we'll talk with you about it when i come home i am off to-morrow for california would like to take you with me maybe i shall meet with robbers in the yosemite i'd rather like to 
god bless you arthur tracy uncle arthur was very queer the day he went away maud said to harold as she put the note and the photograph and the card upon the dressing bureau i heard him talking to gretchen and saying gretchen jerry will be here by and by to keep you company while i am gone little jerry when i first knew her but a great tall jerry now with the air of a duchess yes jerry is coming gretchen how he loves her jerry i mean and i do not wonder do you harold's mouth was full of tacks and he did not reply but went steadily on with his work until everything was done isn't it lovely and won't she be pleased maud kept saying as she gave the room a last look and then started for home charging harold to be on time at the station and to try and not look so tired harold was very tired for the constant strain of the last few weeks had told upon him and he felt that he could not have gone on much longer and that only for maud's constant enthusiasm and sympathy he should have broken down before the task was done it was not easy work shingling roofs and nailing down floors and painting ceilings and every bone in his body ached and his hands were calloused like a piece of leather and his face looked tired and pale when he at last sat down to rest a while before changing his working suit for one scarcely better although clean and fresher with no daubs of paint or patches upon it they don't look first-rate that's a fact he said to himself as he surveyed his pants and boots and hat and thought what a contrast he should present to the elegant tom and the other young men at the station but jerry won't care she understands or will when she sees her new room how pretty it is he added as he stopped a moment to look in and admire it a blind had swung open letting in a flood of hot sunshine and as it was desirable to keep the room as cool as possible harold went in to close the shutter but something was the matter with both fastening and hinge and he was fixing it when maud drove up telling him the train was late that's lucky he said for this blind is all out of gear and it took so much time to fix and rehang it that the whistle was heard among the hills a mile away just as he entered the victoria with maud and started for the station upon a run chapter thirty the walk home all the way from the station to the gate harold was trying to think of something to say besides the merest commonplaces and wondering at jerry's silence she had seemed glad to see him he had seen that in her eyes and seen there something else which puzzled and troubled him and he was about to ask her what it was when she stopped so abruptly and said why didn't you come to commencement tom tracy said you were shingling a roof and billy peterkin said maud was helping you oh that's it is it harold said bursting into a laugh that is why you have been so stiff and distant ever since we left the depot that i could not touch you with a ten-foot pole well i don't care jerry replied with a sob in her voice everybody had some friend there but myself you don't know how lonely i felt when i went on the stage and knew there was no home face looking at me in all that crowd i think you might have come anyway but jerry harold said laying his hand upon her shoulder as they slowly walked on wait a little before you condemn me utterly i wanted to come quite as much as you wanted to have me i remembered what a help it was to me when i was graduated to see your face in the crowd and know by its expression that you were satisfied i did not suppose you saw me jerry exclaimed her voice very different in its tone from what it had been at first saw you and harold's hand tightened its grasp on her shoulder saw you i scarcely saw any one else except you and maud who sat beside you 
i knew you would be there and i looked the room over missing you at first and feeling as if something were wanting to fire me up then when i found you the inspiration came and if i began to flag ever so little i had only to look at your blue eyes and my blood was up again this was a great deal for harold to say and he felt half frightened when he had said it but jerry's answer was reassuring oh i didn't know that i am so glad you told me they were close to the tramp house now the walk from the station had been hot and dusty and jerry was tired so she said to harold let's go in a moment it looks so cool in there so they went in and jerry sat down upon a bench while harold took a seat upon the table and said i suppose you had peals of applause and flowers by the bushel yes jerry replied applause enough and flowers enough twenty bouquets and baskets in all including yours it was kind in you to send it she did not tell him of the wilted condition of his flowers or that one of the faded roses was pressed between the lids of her latin grammar billy gave me a heart of blue forget-me-nots she continued and tom a book of daisies on a standard of violets what a prig tom is and what a dandy billy has grown to be and he stammers worse than ever but he is one of the best-hearted fellows in the world harold said he has been very kind to me yes i know jerry rejoined quickly he makes his father pay you big wages in the office and gives you a great many holidays that is kind but oh harold how i hate it all you're being obliged to work for such a man as peterkin i wish i were rich maybe i shall be some day who knows the great tears were shining in her eyes as she talked and brushing them away she suddenly changed the conversation and said i never come in here that a thousand strange fancies do not begin to flit through my brain and my memory seems stretched to the utmost tension and i remember things away back in the past before you found me in the carpet-bag she was gazing up toward the rafters with a rapt look on her face as if she were seeing the things of which she was talking and harold who had never seen her in just this way said to her very softly what do you remember jerry what do you see she did not move her head or eyes but answered him i see always a sweet pale face to which i can almost give a name a face which smiles upon me and a thin white hand which is laid upon my hair a hand not like those you have told me about and which must have touched me so tenderly that awful night did you ever try to recall a name or a dream which seems sometimes just within your grasp and then baffles all your efforts to retain it yes often harold said just so it is with me she continued i try to keep the fancies which come and go so fast and which always have reference to the past and some far-off country germany i think harold i must have been older when you found me than you supposed i was possibly harold replied you were so small that we thought you almost a baby although you had an old head on your shoulders from the first and could you have spoken our language i believe you might have told us who you were and where you came from perhaps jerry said i don't know only this as i grow older the things way back come to me and the others fade away the dark woman my mother she spoke the name very low is not half as real to me as the pale sick face on which the firelight shines it is a small house and a low room with a big white stove in the corner and somebody is putting wood in it a dark woman she stoops and from the open door the firelight falls upon the face in the chair the woman who is always writing when she is not in bed and i am there a little child 
and when the pale face cries i cry too and when she dies oh harold but you saw me play it once and wondered where i got the idea i saw it i know i did i was there a part of the play i was the little child then there is a blur a darkness with many people and a crying two voices the dark woman's and mine then a river or the sea or both and noisy streets and a storm and cold and you taking me into the sunshine as she talked she had unconsciously laid her hand on harold's knee and he had taken it in his and was holding it fast when she startled him with the question do you did you ever think did anybody ever think it possible that the woman found dead in here was not my mother not your mother harold exclaimed dropping her hand in his surprise not your mother what do you mean no disrespect to her jerry replied the good brave woman who gave her life for me and whose dear hands shielded me from the cold as long as there was power in them to do it i love and reverence her memory as if she had been my mother but harold do i look at all as she did you saw her here and at the park house think am i like her in anything no harold answered you are like her in nothing but you may resemble your father yes jerry said slowly i may oh harold the spell is on me now so strong that i can almost remember tell me again about that night and the morning what they did at the park house mr arthur i mean he was expecting somebody gretchen was it not she had grasped his hand again and was looking into his face as if his answer would be life or death to her and harold who had no idea what was in her mind and who had never thought that the dark woman was not her mother looked at her wonderingly as he replied yes i remember that he had a fancy in his mind that gretchen was coming but he has had that fancy so often he said she was in the ship with him and on the train but she wasn't i think gretchen is dead yes she is dead jerry said decidedly but tell me again all you know of the time i came harold told her again what he knew personally of the tragedy and all he remembered to have heard but the thing most real to him was jerry herself the beautiful girl sitting by his side and astonishing him with her mood and her questions he had seen her often in her spells as he called them when she acted her pantomimes and talked to people whom she said she saw but he had only thought of them as the vagaries of a peculiar mind a german mind his grandmother said and he accepted her theory as the correct one he had never seen jerry as she was now with that look in her face and in her eyes which shone with a strange light as she went on to speak of the things which sometimes came and went so fast and which she tried in vain to retain it had never occurred to him that the woman he had found dead was not her mother and he thought her crazy when she put the question to him but he was a man solid and steady with no vagaries of the brain and not a tithe of the impetuosity and imagination of the girl who asked him at last if he had ever seen any one whom she resembled he was wondering in a vague kind of way how long she meant to stay there and if the tea-cakes his grandmother was going to make for supper would be spoiled when she asked the question to which he replied no i don't think i ever did unless it is gretchen you are some like her but i suppose many german girls have her complexion and hair 
the answer was not very reassuring and jerry showed it in her face which was still upturned to harold who looking down upon it and the earnest wistful expression which had settled there started suddenly as if an arrow had struck him for he saw the likeness jerry had seen in the glass and taking her face between both his hands he studied it intently while the possibility of the thing kept growing upon him making him colder and fainter than jerry herself had been when she looked into the mirror what if it were so he said to himself while everything seemed slipping away from him but mostly jerry who if it were so would be separated from him by a gulf he could not pass for what would the daughter of arthur tracy care for him the poor boy whose life had been one fight with poverty and whose worn shabby clothes on which the full western sunlight was falling told plainer than words of the poverty which still held him in thrall jerry he cried rising to his feet and letting the hands which had clasped her face drop down to her shoulders which they pressed tightly as if he thus would keep her with him oh jerry you are like arthur tracy or you were when you looked at me so earnestly but it is gone now do you have you thought that gretchen was your mother he was pale as a corpse and jerry was the calmer of the two as she told him frankly all she had thought and felt since arthur's visit to her i meant to tell you she said though not quite so soon but when i came in here i could not help it things crowded upon me so it may be and probably is all a fancy but there is something in my babyhood different from the woman who died and when i am able to do it i am going to wiesbaden for that is where gretchen lived and where i believe i came from and if there is anything i shall find it oh harold i may not be gretchen's daughter but if i am more than a peasant girl if anything good comes of my search my greatest joy will be that i can share with you who have been so kind to me i will gladly give you and grandma every dollar i may ever have and then i should not pay you there is nothing owing me harold said the pain in his heart and his fear of losing her growing less as she talked you have brought me nearly all the happiness i have ever known for when i was a boy and every bone ached with the hard work i had to do the thought that jerry was waiting for me at home that her face would greet me at the window or in the door made the labour light and now that i am a man he paused a moment and jerry's head drooped a little for his voice was very low and soft and she waited with a beating heart for him to go on now that i am a man life would be nothing to me without you was this a declaration of love it almost seemed so and but for a thought of maud jerry might have believed it was such and led him on to something more definite as it was her heart gave a great bound of joy which showed itself on her face as she replied if i make your life happier i am glad for never had a poor unknown girl so good and true a brother as i but come i have kept you here too long and grandma must be wondering where we are yes and supper will be spoiled harold said as he followed her to the door we are to have it in the back porch where it is so cool and to have tea-cakes with strawberries from our own vines and cream from our own cow or rather your cow did i write you that she had a splendid calf which we call clovertop they had come back to commonplaces now jerry's clairvoyant spell had passed and she was herself again simple jerry crawford walking along the familiar path and talking of the cow which frank tracy had given her when it was a sickly calf whose mother had died she had taken it home and nursed it so carefully that it was now a healthy little jersey whom she called nanny a funny name for a cow harold had said and she had replied yes but it keeps repeating itself in my brain 
i have known a nanny some time sure and may as well perpetuate the name in my bossy as anywhere nanny was in a little enclosure by the side of the lane and at harold's call she came to the fence over which she put her face for the caress she was sure to get while clovertop kicked up her heels and acted as if she too understood and was glad jerry had come oh it is so pleasant everywhere and i am so glad to be home again jerry said as her eyes went rapidly from one thing to another until at last they fell upon the raised roof looking so new and yellow in the sunlight End of chapters 29 and 30